a lot of them. Ice on me, I'm popping. Try and get like me. Alrighty, we are live. Uh, we have an amazing episode today. Uh, we're with Matt McLean, who is the founder and chief uncle at Uncle Matt's. Um, amazing company, incredible story. Uh, you know that kicked off really in in the in the nineties. Um, so excited to to learn more and hear your story, Matt, and a big fan. So uh, you know, glad to have you. Yeah, hey, awesome, Dave. Thanks for uh, inviting me on the show and. Hope I can tell you some good stuff today. What not to do if you're an entrepreneur listening, tell you all the things that, uh, you know, help keep you out of the ditch. There you go. There you go. Well, uh, let's let's just start on a high level, Matt. You know, you're a pioneer in uh, the beverage space and juice, uh, better for you juices. But, you know, would love to hear how did you get into, uh, you know, the CPG space in general and uh, where the initial inspiration come from? Yeah, you know, so I actually I went to college to get out of the ag industry. Yeah, I grew up in it in Central Florida, just west of Orlando, a little town called Claremont, and uh, did just about everything you could imagine under the sun in an orange grove growing up, helping my dad and his consulting business. And so when I went to college, I said, hey, you know what? I, I really like business, and I want to do you know something in the business field, and maybe it'll be attached to agriculture, maybe not. Uh, I got a degree in finance with a minor in economics. And when I got out of college, there was some opportunities to, to get a sales job uh, or a position, uh, position selling software. But then at the same time, I had a guy who was uh, a citrus grower and he was German and he worked with my father. My father helped him uh, down in his groves in Arcadia. And he said, hey, I'd really like to try and you know figure out a way to send my fruit over to Europe and, uh, and Germany. And I said, okay, great. Maybe I can help you with that. And that's, you know, before we knew it, we had a business and I started a little import export company. Um, and ever since then, that was 1993. Uh, I've been self-employed. Um, so that was kind of fun. And it started me off on the journey eventually becoming Uncle Matt's from the import export company uh, to further down the road, start my own business uh, in the CPG world. And were there any other companies? I mean, what was the first product that you were specifically focusing on internationally um, that that led you to to really kick off the business? Yeah. So this gentleman, uh, he wound up having a lot of connections with bottlers in Germany, which is great. Um, and I had all the connections with the juice plants in Florida. And at the time, in the mid '90s, early mid '90s, there were 35 different juice plants in Florida. So he would he would find the demand, and I would find the supply. So we were the perfect team together. Uh, he was great at selling, and, and I was great at going around with our family connections. I was, I'm was i a fourth-generation Florida citrus grower, so we had a little bit of uh, connections throughout the, the Florida industry, which was great. So I would go around and find uh, orange juice and grapefruit juice, and we would ship it uh, through Port Canaveral, uh, break bulk in the hull of a ship, and it would get over to Rotterdam or, or Flushing there in Holland, and they'd unload it and then send it down to one of those customers. Just when you say fourth generation, can you talk about your earliest family history of, of being in citrus and what that looked like? Yeah, sure. So, you know, late 1800s, my great grandfather, uh, Angus, Angus Benjamin McLean, he came to, to Florida, probably in a, on a wagon and a couple of horses. Uh, and he, he was turpentine. He grew turpentine. He grew um, vegetables. He raised cattle and he also had citrus. So he did a little bit of everything in the agricultural world. And that love for citrus is what my granddad 
uh, took and, and from there he passed it to my father who of course passed it to myself. So we had agriculture in our roots and it, it really narrowed into citrus and that's what I grew up with. And of course the state is known for citrus. It's the largest ag industry in Florida. If you get outside of the theme parks and the big beaches, uh, there's a lot of agriculture in Florida and uh, predominantly citrus. And who, you know, in terms of the dominant players, are we looking at uh, Tropicana, Sunkist, Dole? Who, who are who are the big, big, big dogs when you were, you know, really starting out uh, and, and building your brand? Yeah. So you, same guys. You had Tropicana. You had Minute Maid at the time, which was Coca-Cola. Uh, eventually, they they formed Simply. Um, so basically, you could say Tropicana and Simply, and then Florida's Natural, the co-op of growers in Florida, they were here as well. Uh, those are really the big brands. Uh, there wasn't anything uh, inorganic, and that's kind of what my aha moment was back in the mid-90s when I had that, the one German customer. I was selling them bulk grapefruit juice, and he said, hey, I, I need some organic grapefruit juice, some biologic. And I said, I have no idea what organic is. <laughs> okay, <laughs> man, that sounds good. I'm going to go try and find it. And, and, and so when I did, I went and found it. Uh, and at that time, I also found that there was this big opportunity because nobody – was doing organic orange juice um, in the U.S. at that time. And it took me a couple of years to figure out what the heck, uh, how to go from an idea, like any early entrepreneur, right? Okay, now how do I get it on the shelf? We knew how to grow it. We knew how to, you know, do everything. I could move it all around the world in bulk, but I didn't know how to put it in a little tiny carton and put it on the shelf at the local store. So that took a couple of years for me to figure out. And by the time I did that, Horizon and Pavage, uh, had launched an organic orange juice uh, uh, company. And so that was kind of funny. I came in as a, a third fast, fast follower. I thought I was the first mover, but wound up being the third fast follower. So it took me a lot longer to expand. Uh, Can you share a little bit more about the organic revolution that kind of happened? Was it first in, in yeah. Europe and then brought overseas? Like where did the concept of organic even come from and what does it look like today? Yeah, great question because it's kind of crazy. I've been in this. I mean, we started Uncle Matt's in June of 1999, so going on 22 years, which is nuts. Uh, when I started, there was the California Foods Production Act of 1990. That was you know, the precursor to the USDA organic seal. And so we would basically certify with an independent certifier to those standards that California had put together. Eventually, that you know, wrapped up and became the USDA organic seal and the National Organic Program, uh, that was passed in 2002. So when I just started in 1999, my carton had, you know, quality certification, or no, Florida Organic Grower Certification. That was my organic independent certification that I put on there. And we put, you know, Cal you know certified to the California Foods Production Act of 1990. But what happened uh, in 2002, it really, the USDA seal, I think, gave a lot of credibility to the industry and helped expand it rapidly with the customer to say, oh, okay, there's a, a real standard of identity. Here's what you can and can't use. Uh, and, and anybody could look it up. And then it was also enforceable, right? So if you defrauded the USDA, the federal government, you know, now you can go to jail. So there was a lot more teeth to it. And that's, that's something a lot of people don't understand. And organic is, you know, it's not just kind of like the, the good housekeeping seal of approval, uh, they're not going to come, you know, arrest you and put you in jail if you if you defraud somebody and, uh, from that seal. But in the USD organic, you do. You have to keep detailed records. Uh, you have to get audited. You you have to be able to trace it all the way back to the source, no matter where it comes from, all the way through. So that's a 
a key point with organic and, and consumer confidence in that USD organic seal really put us over the, the hurdle in 2002 when the industry had started way before I was in 1999. Uh, but it just it took it to the next level. And so you have this momentum with organic. You guys, it was called Uncle Matt's in the beginning. Were there any other names? There's always Uncle Matt's. Yeah. So here's the, the beauty of it. I, when I first started that little import export company with the uh, the German, uh, I was Trade America, right? The little slogan. So the next time you want to trade, Trade America. <laughs> My friends, uh, they they made fun of me. Like, well, what are you doing with your life? This is going nowhere. <laughs> From there, I eventually. You know, got on the right path and started having a real business in the, the import export business of selling conventional and organic juice to Europe and, and later the Middle East was really uh, good. I was doing several million in sales and, and making good money from that. And that helped me when I started Uncle Matt's in 99. I continued my juice brokerage business and that funded Uncle Matt's because in the beginning, like any business, you either raise money, borrow money or burn through it. Right. Or all of the above. Uh, and so I was using the uh, business that I had uh, successfully started and was running to fund the growth of Uncle Matt's. It's the best way to do it. I honestly, if anyone can, that is the best way to do it. Why raise money from others when you build a foundation that's cash flow positive and use those funds to incubate and scale a brand? So yep. love that. Yeah, if, you can, if um, you've got the capability to do that, that's the way you should do it. Couldn't agree more. And so were you selling private label juices to people in the juice brokerage business? And then you started building your own consumer facing brand. So picture literally a 55 gallon steel drum. That's as tall as me sitting down here. So we were doing uh, container loads, truckloads at a time of that bulk frozen NFC juice inside of it. So grapefruit and orange juice, you know, Florida was uh, very well known in Europe, France and Germany and the UK for it's not from concentrate juice. It didn't evaporate any of the water out. It was as close to mother nature as you can get. That's what we use today. And so that was just really coming on in the early 90s. And we were right on that wave uh, supplying to the different bottlers throughout those countries. And, you know, that's was an exciting time, but it helped me learn the juice business. It helped me know you know, bricks, acid ratio, different fruit varieties. You know, the French liked it sweet. The Germans liked it bitter, like their beer. And the um, the English were somewhere in between. <laughs> uh, but it, that really so you would have different varietals for by country. So, yes, some of them, some of them want just, a, you know, a white grapefruit uh, or a, a ruby red or a dark red grapefruit or a tangerine variety. We would send like a honey tangerine. So, you know, over in Europe, they everything is uh, basically hot filled into glass bottles. And so little they have little beverage markets, or at least back in the 90s, they did. And so they would do all kinds of different specialty juices. And it was great. But that was really how I gained the expertise to start Uncle Matt's is when he came and said, hey, I, you know, I want to find uh, some organic grapefruit juice. And I saw the opportunity in the market. You know, I knew how to make a really tasty juice with the right varieties and the right, you know, bricks acid ratio and oil level. And that was my point of differentiation when I went into the market was, hey, this is going to be consistently great tasting every time. I'm maniacal about flavor. I still am today. And it's because I learned it the hard way. Uh, you don't want to get a big 55 gallon drum load of uh, stuff over to Germany and they go, wrong flavor. This wasn't what I ordered. <laughs> Take it back. That is not a good situation. Not, just not just send situation. it back. <laughs> yeah. And they were very particular about pesticide residues. So 
they kind of started in Europe on the organic front. Organic, the U.S. And, and Europe were kind of at the same time, to your earlier question, you know, starting to both uh, have organic prevalent more and more as niche items in different parts of their countries. And it was just ironic that while the U.S. was, was getting going, I got this question from, you know, a guy over in Germany, in southern Germany, about organic grapefruit juice. And voila, here was, you know, the rest of the story's history. Matt, I feel like I oftentimes see this where when you're living abroad or doing business abroad are a lot of inspiration for us with Dream Pops. I lived in Milan for two years and uh, a lot of inspiration in Italy from some of the uh, the innovation uh, that was happening. So um, I just feel like I keep I continue to see this pattern when people look uh, in other markets at other products. Um, you know, there's these breakthroughs that tend to happen. So it's, it's really interesting to see. So it's um, a good, good point, uh, just to interrupt you there. So two good food shows over, actually there's three good food shows, but the two largest, uh, you can go to Anuga every year in Cologne, Germany, and then Seattle is in the off year, and that's in Paris, France. And they have just about everything under the sun. Anuga is just massive. I mean, most of your viewers here will know Expo East and Expo West. You know, it's like Expo West even more on steroids. You know, you have halls of beer, you have halls of, you know, <laughs> Uh, juice, you have halls of it, just it's uh, so much food. It's great to go there. You'll get inspired. If you want to see all organic, go to Biofoc. Uh, that's in Nuremberg every year in Germany. And that that will really, you know, get you going as well. But you'll see different packaging, different flavor profiles, different concepts, all that stuff. If you can afford to do it, I uh, highly recommend it because you will you will get inspired and, and see some things. Couldn't agree with you more. I went to a couple of trade shows when I was in Europe and it's just, it's, it, it opens your eyes uh, to, to what's feasible, what's possible. And, uh, and just, you know, the machinery, the equipment, the, yeah. the infrastructure that, you know, is being used in, in different countries. It, it does vary quite a bit, even when you look at an Expo West and East versus uh, Europe or Asia. So I, I couldn't agree with that, that more. Um, so I, I'd love Matt to hear a little bit about, it seems like you had built a great business you were you were really excited to to start Uncle Matt's. What was the first supermarket? Did, how did you guys even think about building the brand and going to market? Yeah, so I started just, of course, like everybody, you go in your backyard, right? You look locally, uh, who's ready to buy this thing? There was a, a great uh, small chain called Chamberlain's uh, here locally in Orlando. And there was a wonderful buyer. Um, uh, Karen was her name and sat down with her. I showed her my one little item. I'd had a mock-up carton and, and just some juice in a plastic jug and said, hey, this is what I'm going to put in here eventually, and I want to sell it to you. <laughs> uh, and she said, you know, I've, I've got a couple other orange juice out there, but this is great. And they specialized in organic, uh, and we were local. So she just said, yeah, I'm going to give you a shot. And they, I think they had you know, seven or eight stores locally. Well, little I know that was not near enough to you know launch a, a brand with minimums, and, <laughs> and so... I still need to go add some more stores. I sat down with Gooding Supermarket, which was a local upscale chain. And they had, I think, 20, 13 or you know, 20 stores. And so between those two, uh, I had enough to barely get through a run of minimums. And when I sat in front of the Goodings buyer, uh, same thing. He just said, you know, I got plenty of orange juice. Go look at the set. Um, why you and, and why now? And <clears throat> I think I just caught him because we talked in our deck. In the beginning, I had half of my deck was Y organic. It had nothing to do 
uh, you know, today I don't even have one page in a deck that says, here's what organic means. You know, everybody already knows it. It's, it's ubiquitous. Our industry's come a long way, but I had half the deck was why organic and in there was organic baby food. And it talked about how the rise of organic baby food uh, in the mid nineties had really caught on. And, and the section was on fire and this new mom was coming and she was concerned. She was reading labels, uh, et cetera. And so that data was very compelling and it helped me to get organic orange juice in sets because I said, hey, this is the same, you know, mom that's going to walk over to the juice case. And he said, you know what? I believe you. I think you're right. And I'm a, you know, a young dad with kids and our family would uh, buy that baby food. And absolutely. So we we found something that was hot uh, and knew that we could come in right there with it. And, and it would, you know, if it was going to happen there, it would happen wherever that mom was shopping. Uh, and so it, we were set and off we went. Uh, the funny story around that is we had the whole big rollout for getting supermarket ready. I had a demo lined up, man. This was it. I had friends, family, they were all coming. Like this was, you know, my moment. And the guy calls me, the buyers at the store for their, it was a grand opening. Too. He calls me and says, Hey, I'm uh, here with, uh, you know, looking through the cooler back here. Are you the Pavich brand? I was like, what? <laughs> so Pavich was my competitor. We were co-packed at the same location. They had put oh, the wrong man. pallet. They put the wrong pallet on the truck. <laughs> oh my so god! My stuff was on the way, you know, like to Texas to, you know, HEB, where it's supposed to go. And so at that moment, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is this business is going to be terrible because I can do everything <laughs> right, but the guy on the driving the forklift can make a mistake, or the the guy loading the truck, and I'm doomed. Like this is terrible, you know. So that was the funny story. But he laughed it off. Uh, we went you know, the next day and got the other product delivered and you know the rest worked out. But in the beginning, it was a, a little bit of a shell shock. No, absolutely. It's, it's interesting when I think about um, brands that do break through and become mainstream and build, you know, when you're going up against Minute Maid and Tropicana, for you guys, it seems like organic was really that, uh, that ace up your sleeve and that differentiation to get to get the shot. Um, I actually can relate to that. I think for us, plant-based is the window that's open for us to compete with a Ben and Jerry's or, uh, you know, a Haagen-Dazs or some of the, you know, huge ice cream players. So would you agree that because you built your foundation on organic and you were able to establish yourself as the organic orange juice, that was what allowed buyers to really bring you into the ecosystem and traditional, sorry, conventional natural. Was that really the angle? Absolutely. So from that little local sphere that I had in the beginning in 99, 2000, I knocked on Publix's door, which is you know an hour from me. I knocked on that door for two years. You know, yeah. Hey, man, I, I mean, I wore that poor guy, Raul. Uh, I, I wore Raul Garcia's phone and, and, and out. Just come on, man. I got to get it. I got to get in. And uh, he just kept saying, hey, you know, I've got he actually had a competitor in and uh, it was Cascadian Farms. Uh, came out with an orange juice. I was like the fourth uh, orange juice brand now, uh, but they were from concentrate. Ours was not from concentrate. We were, we were superior in flavor by far. Really um, quickly. Can you explain what it means to be from concentrate versus yeah. not? Cause I, I don't think there's a lot of people that don't so, understand. So the original orange juice industry started uh, with a from concentrate. So it, they evaporate out the water and they condense it. So it'd be a four plus one. So you, you used to go to the freezer and you would buy the little can of OJ, you would, you would dump the concentrate in, and then you would add three parts of water to it, and it would reconstitute back to your standard single-strength juice. 
Well, the industry moved from that to not from concentrate. They stopped evaporating the water out because when you do that, you have to go through like four or five stages, different heat. It takes off the volatiles of the flavors and some of also the uh, vitamins. So the closest you can get to nature is you just squeeze it and literally put it in a bottle and then pasteurize it to kill any pathogens uh, and get some shelf life and off you go. So that's the difference when I say from concentrate to not from concentrate. Uh, so they had a from concentrate juice. We were a, a, a premium NFC, not from concentrate. And the, the public buyer said, all right, you know, we'll take a look at you. You know, bring your stuff in again. And this is after two years of me just wearing him out. Uh, I had a, a broker at the time, John Casson, with Advantage. Um, great guy. He was with Sunbelt Sales and Marketing at the time, which was a tiny little small broker. That was the next phase. I got a little broker. He helped me get into a lot more natural food stores beyond the, uh, the Goodings and also the Chamberlains. But then he took me in to Publix and we sat there and uh, it was three generations. It was my granddad, my father, and myself. We all went in together because I was like, all right, I'm going to use every leverage I got, right? I mean, this if this guy can turn down seven generations of McLean's walking in here, then, <laughs> you know, good for him. But I, I'm going to give it everything I got. You know, if I had kids, I would have brought them at the time too. But <laughs> So we, we sat there in front of him. Before we went in, you know, you got a picture of my dad and granddad. They had been citrus growers, you know, all their life. And Publix is the premier uh, retailer down here. And so getting anything in Publix was just like, wow, a huge accomplishment. And, and it still is today. But to them, you know, they had shopped there all their life. And so my granddad, being very proud about Florida, uh, he had noticed that the citrus section was getting smaller and smaller, the fresh citrus section. And they were putting in like more peaches and more blueberries. And well, that was a problem for him. You know, we, we grew citrus and you needed to have this big citrus set. So he, we were, I invited him to go into this call, you know, thinking to sell Uncle Matt's and the juice. And he said, all right, well, when do I get to talk about the fresh fruit and what they're doing to the set? And I said, well, no, 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 Pappy, this isn't that meeting. We, as much as I want to go in there and kick the door down too, we probably need to just focus on the juice first and try to get it. And he was like, okay, well, if you don't even want me to speak, I won't even speak. You just, you just tell me what you want me to say. <laughs> Cause he had waited a lifetime to go in there and tell Publix, you know, Hey, you're, we need more set. You need a, big, you need a bigger citrus set. <laughs> we need a bigger citrus set. So the funny thing is we went there. It was great. We had a wonderful meeting. You know, Pappy talked about the history of citrus and Florida and Publix and all those things. And so did my dad. And so we had a great agronomy discussion and, then I talked about the benefits of our juice and we flavored it, et cetera. So he wound up uh, finally bringing us in. And it was, uh, he called me on the day of uh, September 11th. Uh, I was sitting wow. there, just watched the first tower fall. And I'm going, wow, this is a terrible, terrible tragedy. And he literally called and said, hey, hey man, this is Raul. I was like, hey, Raul. He said, on a really bad day, I'm going to give you some really good news. And I'm like, Ooh, wow. So like, I'll never forget that. And, and like <clears throat> in business, it was the it was the time where I needed it was two years in and it was that whole next level of platform for me. Right. It was now I made all my minimums. Now I got my um, my boxes were cheaper. My bottles were cheaper. My cab like, whoo, you know, trucking was cheaper. It was just that next level of economy scale for me. And it was also the next level of marketing visibility. You know, just I was now I made it. You get into Publix, you you can at least say, hey, I've, I've done something. And so that was a that was a huge monument and a, and a huge day and, and leading up to it. Just 
the one regret I have is I, I never took a picture with my dad and my granddad. And my granddad's not alive anymore. My father luckily still is. He's 78. Um, but I wish we would have had a picture from that day uh, to kind of commemorate that that special moment of going into Publix. And then they've been a, a one of our best customers ever since. Uh, i got a great relationship with them. Uh, they, you know, keep continue to expand. And so just one of those great relationships. It's honestly amazing to hear that, Matt. Like I feel I, I can relate. I feel like there have been a couple key wins in our business over the last few years. Like those breakthrough moments are so powerful. And yeah. we try and document yeah. and take photos of really any small win. Um, but a public win like that for your business in your backyard in Florida can, can literally uh, build the foundation of the company. So that was it. I love yeah, so, that. So we were off, we were off and running after that, you know, and then from there you get other regional wins and then you get a couple, uh, another national, we got a Kroger national win. <clears throat> that was really fun. Uh, that, <laughs> that story, Dave Slusher was, uh, he, he just recently retired from uh, HRK, Harlow HRK. Um, and he was our he was the broker for Horizon, and Horizon got out of the juice business. They just said, "Hey, you know what? We need to stay focused on milk." And I had been doing the same thing that Kroger buyer as I had to the Publix buyer, you know, calling well, talking, "Hey, man, I gotta get here. I got the juice. Put me in. Put me in." So <laughs> I had wore that poor guy out too. And um, Dave Slusher calls me, and at this point, I was, you know, "Hey, I, I go direct, man. I don't deal with brokers." You know, Dave's like, "Hey, I, you know, I'm." I'm a HRK. I, I can help you get into Kroger. And I was kind of like, Hey man, I, I, you know, I talk to that guy all the time. I know the buyer, you know, I don't know. And he goes, no, I don't think you really understand like my relationship with the buyer and, and what I'm talking about. I'm like, yeah, it's okay. I, I'm good, man. I, I've already sent them samples. <laughs> so it's being young and dumb. So I hang up and, you know, a couple of days go by. Dave calls me again. He's like, Hey, uh, this is Dave Slusher again. I, I think you really need to listen to me this time. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, Okay, you're helping them. Oh, you wrapped Horizon. Oh, yeah. Okay, so you learn some of those things when you're young and dumb, and you're just brash and full of, you know, piss and vinegar. Like, hey, man, I already know the buyer. I'm a, don't tell me what I can and can't do. Uh, so Dave and I became, you know, best friends. He was awesome. Uh, he he taught me the ropes around Kroger, and we got in. And Kroger was the next one that then took us nationwide because Publix was still regional. Uh, and then eventually we get into Whole Foods nationwide. I got the call from. Uh, from them, that was a, a fun time. And um, then that takes you, you and a fine nationwide when you get into Whole Foods nationwide. So you were able to hit all the, the mom and pop type Chamberlains, um, the co-op stores that are such great consumers for us today, the infra stores, you know, where your really passionate, committed customer is for organic and natural foods. And so that really helped us look at the big checkerboard and put all the pieces together across the, uh, the map. And so now, you know, nationwide, we've got the capability to really plug into a lot of different channels. And you look for spaces like food service, convenience, you know, kind of the real hard last places to get into for a lot of brands. And so we're chipping away there. What were some of your biggest challenges while you were ramping up and scaling? Because if you look at the sheer size of a Publix from 30 yeah. stores, you mentioned goodies and, and the other. When you go from there to Publix and you go from Publix to Kroger Nationwide and Whole Foods Global, were there any issues with supply chain? I mean, oh. you guys had some great, ver it sounds like some oh, yeah. uh, you know, the, the agriculture component and a co-packer, yeah. but how do you ramp and what were some of your biggest yeah. challenges? So a uh, great question there because for the longest time, uh, when, when we started Uncle Matt's, I uh, was working with a couple uh, organic growers that were pioneers mm -hmm. 
in the space, the Roper family, um, good people and had seen it coming for a while and transitioned a chunk of their growth to organic. So uh, I went to them and was working close with them. But then I uh, rapidly uh, changed uh, our family to organic thinking. And at that time, we were just consultants. We had about um, uh, 600 acres of conventional citrus in the 80s. And it got wiped out by the freezes. Literally one cold night killed everything down to the ground for my, my dad and granddaddy. They went from assets to liabilities. Um, so they became consultants. So I didn't have anything I could transition any large acreage. And it takes three years to transition to organic to Mitchell. Wow. So I had to go, I had to go acre by acre. And my dad at the time had a whopping uh, five acres in his backyard. So we started there and turned that organic. And then from there, we, we rapidly had, uh, enough growers that we knew that we could convince to convert either a portion or all of their acreage. And in our peak, we grew to 1500 acres that we took care of ourselves. We had our own ag team with tractors and mowers and, and everything needed to take care of it. Uh, and my dad and brother were the lead agronomist on it. And so that was up and down the state. We had three different counties, uh, Lake Polk and Highlands. And up until 2015, we had 100% Florida from everything that we took care of ourselves. And then a, wow. little, bug, then a little bug showed up uh, called citrus greening, uh, this Asian citrus psyllid, and our supply started uh, rapidly declining. And so we had to start working with other growers. So we started working with Texas, California, both coast of Mexico. And today, um, what we have left in Florida is less than 100 acres, and it's all for research and development trying to find a cure for greening uh, and, uh, and to replant the state. Uh, but we're telling the other growers and the other regions, here's some things to look out for, here's some methods that we're doing and we're finding success. But to answer your question, supply was the biggest hurdle for us. You know, organic was difficult. Uh, we were the first really in the state to try and scale it as big as we did. Uh, and there was no uh, roadmap to how to do it. It was really you know, trial and Did you have out of stock issues? Because I'm, I mean, what's really mind blowing is it's one thing to be able to manufacture a product, right? And to get those yep. wins. It's yep. another to deal with a crop that's subject to different seasons, potential right. bugs. Right. Um, I mean, did you have issues where you couldn't even make oh, your orders? Because we came real close a lot of times. We had to ration. Uh, only a couple times. We were very fortunate, you know, but you're not talking about an overnight success. I'm like going on year 22 year, 22 year here, you know what I mean? So uh, if it was a, a dream pop overnight success, like you guys with a hockey stick curve, then yeah, you got to have support, right? You got to have more supply lined up. Today, we laid the groundwork for a whole lot of uh, growth, which is great. So we've got good supply partners in different regions, uh, you know, can I supply the globe? No. Um, you kind of pick and choose what you're going to do from year to year. Uh, but there's definitely, you know, double digit growth you can easily obtain. Uh, and there's a lot more organic supply available worldwide uh, than there was 10, 20 years ago. But yet in the early days, you know, that was a concern. Uh, totally. Supply, and, supply and, and what, a concern. what about the juice wars that were happening in like 2013? 13, 14, 15, Suja, juice served here, yeah. press juicery. How did that affect your business? You know, that was the HPP craze, right? And yeah. so at one point, you know, high pressure was going to take over the world. Uh, and, you know, you couldn't pick up a, a BevNet article without reading all the, you know, you know cold press juice companies everywhere and how great they were doing expanding. 
and I was clapping all the way, like, hey, all right, cool. You know, anything to do with juice and, you know, it'll be a rising tide for all boats. Um, and, you know, they had their space. They had their premium that they were going after and all the different, uh, you know, blends and items that they were doing. I think the green drinks were, were really a nice addition to the whole juice case. And they have stuck. They've been the one thing that's really stuck um, after it kind of, you know, with the big curve, it went up and then it went way down. And now there's only a few players, you know, Evolution and Suja, I think, really are the, the two big national brands are left. Blueprint has fallen off. Um, yep. So, but it, it kind of all goes in cycles. But it it was nice just to have the focus on juice. We looked at trying to do, you know, the cold press HPP place, high pressure. Uh, it's just a totally different model. It's really tough to do um, nationwide consistently. Shelf life is probably the biggest challenge on that, right? Yeah, it can be. I mean, you, you'll get decent shelf life on HPP. It's just, it's really labor intensive. Uh, it's really costly. Um, so, you know, we were good with the quality and, and the consumers were telling us we were doing the right thing. And so that's, that's the path we stuck on. I think that the HPP is really good for green drinks. Uh, it's proven that it's, you know, it does well that uh, flash pasteurization, heat pasteurization, on green drinks can really, it turns them brown. It's not as good. So, so the pressure piece really helps that. Awesome. I, I fully, fully agree with that. Um, I guess, Matt, I, I'd love to hear for anyone who's looking to get into the food and beverage industry, specifically beverage, what yeah. advice or tips would you have? A few things that I heard just hearing your story was like serious tenacity and grit yeah. um, as well as a curiosity, but really just you picking up that phone, those breakthrough moments that really built enough momentum for you to build a brand, but any other tips you might have for people trying to build companies? Yeah. I mean, one, you got to just be patient, right? I mean, cause out of the gate, you're going to want instant success. Like, you know, and especially today's world, right? Uh, I ordered, it comes in 24 hours. Um, you're going to you know, be prepared. You, you're going to take a while to build your business, uh, to find the right accounts, be be patient enough uh, to know which accounts, you know, in the beginning, I was like a shotgun blast. And that was way too just, if I could do it over again, I would one, know which accounts to go after, you know, prioritize exactly the best fit for your brand, where you think your customer will really resonate the most with that uh, product that you have, and go after those accounts, because those will be the accounts that you can make money off of, you can grow off of, and they are legitimate ones you don't want your competitors to get to first. <laughs> so those accounts, find those best ones uh, to get in. Don't try to, hey, I'm going to be in all categories. I'm going to be in all channels. Uh, you know, I want to be in, I, I want to, because in the beginning I was like, I'm going to do you know, like 86 products that I think I could do anything from organic milk, you know, to like, no. What do you do really well? Do what you do really well. And then prioritize the accounts that can be the Whole Foods Publix or whatever it is for you to get to the level you need to for economy of scale, for production uh, and for cash flow. You know, you don't want to go into account where the slotting's really high and you don't know if you've got enough uh, velocity to stay in it because that could be a real death to your business. Uh, you pay too much money and you don't get the good return. I wouldn't suggest you pay any slotting in the beginning. Uh, do the best you can to never pay it. That's always my mantra. Um, and improve it in the accounts where you know you'll get the turns because you want to have a success story. When you go in front of a buyer, whoever it is, 
you want to say, look, I'm selling in uh, XYZ retailer. Our velocity is here and the category is down there. Uh, and if you don't have that story, what other thing or can you compel them with? Well, even if I'm not the same as Tropicana, I at least have a, a customer that spends like, you know, spends a whole lot of money. And when you bring them in to buy Uncle Matt's, they're going to buy a whole lot more things. And the shopping cart is greater. And we did, you know, later in life, when Dean Foods bought us in 2017, um, one thing they had was a whole lot of data. And they pulled data on us specifically. And it showed our basket was bigger by like 30% than any of my competitors, Trop, uh, simply any of those guys. So it made sense as a story to come in. I never even knew that. Like, oh, wow, okay. Yeah, I've got, you know, besides Uncle Matt's, that shopper is a more affluent shopper that, you know, you want to have them come in your store. So a product like Uncle Matt's attracts them in. Uh, and so that was a compelling story. We also had more trips. Our customer would make more trips in the store. So that was compelling for the retailer. So just kind of look at different angles. You know, one, prioritize, find the right accounts, and then look at real, you know, what are the right angles that are going to tell that buyer, I'm going to be a creative to your set. We're going to grow the whole set, right? I'm not going to just cherry pick and I'm not going to uh, take sales from somebody else in your category because that doesn't do any good for them. But you're going to be a creative. This is going to be a new customer. It's going to be a new category. It's going to be new something in that space. And then that gets their attention. Real incrementality and actually like creating Yep. Uh, you know, value add to that customer because the way right. they see it, it's real estate, right? So if you're yep. just, if you're offering the same value prop and uh, you know, there's not a lot of brand equity or loyalty, uh, it's going to be tough to convince that buyer. So I, I couldn't agree more. Um, Matt, this has been awesome. Thank you yeah. for, for making some time. I loved hearing your story. It was, it was really, really inspiring. And um, I love this, the, the, the story about your, your great grandfather or sorry, your grandfather and, yep. and your dad all in one room. That was really cool. So. Yeah, you're welcome. The one thing I, I did like about because I just mentioned about the Dean Foods, we bought the company back, which is yes. another crazy story. So we, we bought it back out of bankruptcy. You know, we sold to Dean Foods in 2017 and we thought, wow, that's a, you know, it was a big event for our family. It took a long time to get to that decision. And then we just felt like it was the right time to get out. And then we bought it back uh, almost two and a half years later when Dean uh, came upon hard times and bought it back out of bankruptcy. So you never know as an entrepreneur uh, what's going to happen. You know, you never know if you get a second chance at something. Um, so it, it was a- So what's, what's the future now? What, like, what are you excited about in the yeah. category? And what's, uh, what are the next few years for Uncle Matt's look like? Yeah, absolutely. So we've got a lot of innovation. You know, Dean Foods, they were a $8 million public company. Uh, and so when you tried to to innovate, it took a while because you just had a lot of different channels you had to, to make sure it could work with. Uh, but things like um, this Ultimate Immune, the new purple beverage that we uh, brought out, it's orange juice with elderberry, boosted vitamin C, uh, zinc, and also D. We launched it from start to finish in four months, um, and it's doing really wow. well for us. It won a Nexty for best new organic beverage, which is pretty cool. We've never won one in the history of our company. So Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. So just being... Uh, listening to the customer, uh, being innovative around, you know, better for you beverages uh, is as much as we are an organic orange juice company. We want to really also be a better for you beverage company. So, you know, that's kind of where we're pivoting to uh, to see where else we can 
you know, play in that space and who else we can get to uh, from a customer to really help be a creative in the whole set. Where do you usually, how do you think about innovation? Uh, is it, you know, you mentioned going yep. international, but um, where do you typically try and figure out, find new ideas? So I live and breathe health and wellness. You know, I'm an active, uh, you know, workout regularly and uh, swim, bike, run the whole nine yards. Uh, and I eat it. So if you came to my house, you would see, you know, all of the organic natural food brands uh, that are kind of on the cutting edge. I love to try new stuff. So I'm out in the stores. I, you know, go to trade shows. I you know, look at the, you know, up and coming you know, brands and just see kind of, you know, what is the, what is the competition doing? And then what is also the consumer asking for? And really the consumer will lead you in the right space. Uh, you're going to get a lot of it wrong. Uh, I definitely do that. I mean, we, we throw products out there and they fail. Uh, they look really good on paper. We think we're really smart. Uh, and then it doesn't work. Uh, and, and it's typically because you either, you know, you didn't have uh, the right, com most compelling benefits that you thought. Like, hey, I really think this set of benefits is uh, something that a consumer is going to grab. And it wasn't. It wasn't a need state. You were really uh, filling. You were chasing some other, you know, you know, trend or function that wasn't actually being needed by the customer. And that's you typically will know how how quick would you say about six months in a year velocities you just oh yeah you know. you'll know in the first six months like uh oh velocity no good <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right yeah we've we've promoted the heck out of it and it's still on the shelf yeah <laughs> those are sad days but you know what I'd rather have a fast fail than this really slow drawn out you know demise uh, because a fast fail you can get it okay all right. I don't have to order a whole ton more product or packaging uh, and I'm, I'm in and I'm out of the thing. But yeah, so sometimes it's, uh, you know, it just comes from the gut being around the industry, seeing what's happening and what we think customers really want. Amazing. Amazing. Well, Matt, this is one of my favorite episodes. Thank you for <laughs> going deep and, and sharing your story. Really powerful. Um, and I just, I, I, once again, thank you for making the time on a Friday to, uh, to share, share on our channel. So, Hey, no problem. Hey, best of luck with your business, man. You, uh, you got a great little concept, uh, love the products and love what you're doing. Uh, so if there's anything I can do to help you climb that mountain, feel free to reach out. Thank you. I'm going to definitely send you some ice cream as well. So, awesome. um, thanks again, Matt, and, and have a great rest of your weekend. You too. Thanks. Take care. Cheers.